let's do this. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the show. Um, <clears throat> this one's going to be weird. It's going to be different for several reasons. Um, mostly because um, this is the first video or audio that I've recorded by myself. It's the first time I've done any content by myself. And there's a reason for it, and I'll get to that. Uh, on a positive note, I fixed the technical issues that we were having with the cameras and everything while Mitchell was here. Uh, I'm doing this one by myself because the show kind of fell apart. And it fell apart because I fell apart. And I've been trying to get it back on track. And the only way that that's going to happen is for, I guess, me to get back on track. And that's going to take a lot longer. I think the show is something that is a little bit more salvageable. Uh, for me, myself, I've been dealing with a lot lately, and I, I don't think that I've been necessarily handling it well. So I don't know if this is going to be the best piece of content that we put out. Uh, I think it's going to be a little weird, and I think mostly it's just a conversation that I need to have with myself, and I'm doing that in the form of doing it on camera with the show. So what I'm going to talk about today is what I call, I guess, trauma positives. And essentially what that is, is just the the good things that you can take away from dealing with a life of trauma or carrying trauma, dealing with trauma, trying to move past trauma, putting it away, holding it right in front of you, whatever it is that you're dealing with. And I guess to start, I would actually have to explain a little bit about my trauma. Some of it's pretty generic, you know, bad childhood, dealing with, I, I guess bad childhood, okay, I'm going to have to be a little bit more specific. Um, I was born into a very low-income family, like poor, poor, low-income family, with four siblings that came before me, so I'm the youngest of five. That's not conducive to growing up necessarily happy. Now, I know people that did have a lot of siblings and didn't have a lot of money, and they had great childhoods, and a lot of that has to do with the parents, if you see where I'm getting at. Um, the four youngest ended up going into the system with CPS. We spent some time with uh, foster care, and then we got adopted by my grandparents. Now, that seems like a happy ending, except for when you're an atheist, and you know at a very young age that you're an atheist. I didn't know what the word was. I just knew that I was being told stories that I found fanciful, fantastical. It's not fantastic. Not really sure. Okay, so also, <laughs> this is a weird one because I've been up for a long time. And I'm doing it at 6.30 in the morning, so I'm trying to be quiet. I started this at 5 in the morning and ran into more technical issues. And John's obviously not here because it's really early in the morning and he's the smart one that deals with computers he actually built this one um and so i've been trying to troubleshoot all that and make it work it's also why i've got one ear exposed because i'm trying to stay quiet and not wake up everybody else in the house because it's saturday morning and that would just be a dick move what was i where was i bad childhood being an atheist being an atheist growing up in a very strict southern baptist home um that's that's also not conducive to happiness. So those were all things that were moderately easy, I guess, for me to deal with as far as trauma-wise. Now, growing up with siblings that were also traumatized who had experienced a lot of the problems that were going on for longer than I did, it was really hard to connect and to relate to them because we had... So we were all together, and apart from... For the, the youngest four of us, apart from the time that we were in the foster care system, we did we were there for everything. But we still had very unique experiences to everything that was happening. So trying to grow up and deal with personal trauma and figure out how to become a healthy adult, a functioning adult. I'm not even going to go with healthy, just a functioning adult. I don't know why I keep saying the A twice. That's weird adult was it just once anyway this is just bad i think it's because i have a hard time actually talking about these kinds of things on a meaningful level i'm the type to cover things with humor i make jokes and anytime i feel awkward or insecure or anxious 
or depressed, I throw jokes around because one, I'm funny. Um, and two, it's easier to make light of something than to deal with the reality of the situation. So I'm going to try and rein it in and keep it together and actually make it through this conversation. So, so we start with the bad childhood. There was physical and mental abuse for all of the children involved. And that by itself leads very easily to a life of unhappiness. And when you've got all these different individuals trying to figure out who they are and where they fit within the world that they find themselves, but also maintain a relationship with each other, that's difficult. Um, it's, it's difficult on an individual level, but then when you take the complexity of the different relationships and the different people who are trying to hold on to false narratives in the sense of fam like family ties. <sighs> family ties blood is not enough. It's kind of crap when people tell you, oh, well, I know that this person's done this, or I know that, you know, they said this, or I know that they affected you this way, but they're family. So? Does being family give you a free pass on being a, a negative influence on somebody's life? And the answer is very simple. It's just no, it doesn't. Just because you're family doesn't mean that, you know, things get to be overlooked or swept under the rug. If anything, it means that what you did is just that much worse because you did it to family. So with all that being said, it was very difficult to move past personal trauma while also trying to deal with other people's trauma, uh, which is something that you shouldn't do. You shouldn't take on somebody else's trauma, even if it's with all of the right intentions. Um, the reason for that is because you simply can't. You cannot carry the weight of somebody else's pain. Um, and even if it seems like it's working in the long run, to me, I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist or anything like that. But to me, it's more damaging because it's almost like a placebo effect. You can only carry that pain for so long before reality comes back on the person that the pain belongs to. And then what was heavy almost feels impossible. And so just don't. All right. Be supportive. Be an anchor. You know, just don't try to take it on for yourself. It's not healthy for the person that you're trying to help. It's not healthy for you. It's not effective, really, in any way, as, as far as my personal experience goes. Because when it comes to talking about trauma and everything, you can really only deal with your personal experience. Even when experts are like, oh, hey, this is, it's because typically it's their personal experience of being there for their patients and everything else. So in my personal experience, it's crap. Don't do it. It's not effective. You're only going to do more damage in the long run. And one of the worst things that you can possibly be is the person that went from a positive in a traumatized person's life to a negative because that affects their ability to have positive relationships in the future. Um, once you get past the childhood issues, there's, for me in particular, some some health issues. I was born with my heart not working correctly. We caught it early on. Yeah, I think it was in fifth grade. And for a long time, it was fine. Um, it, that has caught up to me. Uh, I'm in my early 30s now. And essentially, it's one of those situations where you don't feel great. So you go to the doctor. Now, in it was, I guess, a bit bizarre because I went to the emergency room right as COVID was really starting to take effect. And so they just insisted that I had COVID and they sent me home. But what we found out is that my heart is failing. So it's that situation where you go in thinking, okay, this is bad, but there's silver linings. Like there's some positives to this. There's an upside. I'm going to be able to beat this. And then... Essentially, you find out that your lifespan has more than likely been shortened to a significant degree. 
you can live beyond, but essentially the the I think it's like three to four years is your life expectancy after finding out that you have heart failure. And when you're in your early 30s, that has a bit of an impact. So you start off with all of the childhood issues that led to anxiety and depression and, you know, uh, stuff. I'm still finding it difficult to fully open up about this. And I probably will more and more over time and everything. This is just the first go at it, so we'll see how this goes. So when you find that out, it you get anxiety and depression and stuff. So it, it's, it's almost like a second layer of everything just compacting on top of each other. Then we moved and moving is just stressful like that's that's an everybody thing like moving kind of sucks unless you just have that kind of convenience and wealth to have everyone do all the crappy stuff for you which we don't so we did all the crappy stuff ourselves and i i guess basically for me it was i i'd found um, a, a relatively healthy spot mentally speaking then to find out that the health issues had gotten a lot worse. And then I lost my job because I, I with I was a professional driver. I, I s- uh, operated with a CDL license, a commercial license. And when your heart function drops below 40%, you're not allowed to do that anymore. And they really frown upon you doing it when you're at 19%. So I lost my job and I lost a lot of my self-respect and dignity and everything else. And and that's th- th- that's affected me a lot. And this show was one way that I was really trying to get a foothold back on some stability in, in inside of my own head. And the show has fallen apart because I fell apart even more than I think I even realized. So... With this one, um, I'm probably before I bring on anybody else to to do any content. I'm probably going to talk two, maybe three videos on my experiences with dealing with trauma and everything. I don't know if it's going to help. I don't have any expectations. I just know what the reality of my situation is and the way that I usually deal with things. And I don't really open up about these kinds of things. So instead of just trying to this is this is almost a cop out, in the sense that it's easier for me to have this conversation with myself because I can just look at myself like there, hey, I do, and see that's the humor thing. Like I just make a joke of shit, but it's easier for me to have this conversation with myself than to sit down with the people closest to me and have the conversation with them because they're aware of what's going on with me, and uh, I'm fortunate enough that they understand that I don't do the helicopter thing situation very well i don't deal with people how are you is everything okay did you eat today did you take your medicine like i i I don't handle that well i don't like to be suffocated and even if they're not suffocating me it feels that way so i'm very fortunate to that nobody is forcing me to have the conversation they they know what's going on and they're giving me the time so long as I'm in a good enough place that I'm not a danger to myself, they're giving me the time to try and work through it. And that is a, m- a major amount of support that I need through all of this. And um, I've been very fortunate for that. So this first one is me talking to myself and basically reminding myself of the things that I should be happy about, like the, the positives in my trauma, which I guess I started this by saying like trauma positive. I don't know if that's a real term or not, but it just seemed like it kind of fit. Like, these are my trauma positives. So it's me reminding myself of the good things that have happened since the worst of the most recent (laughs) things took place. Um, Because, like I said, the childhood stuff, I don't really hold on to that. Um, I've been been down that road where I I really dwelled on it, and nothing came of it. Nothing good came of it, and I, I, there was no closure. There was no healing. The The family issues are still continuing even to this day, um, some of them quite recent, which I, I let impact me more than I should have. I, I should have realized that it was just going to be more of the same, and I sh- walked away immediately. But I guess curiosity kind of got a big 
uh, a hold of me and and I, and I went down the, the rabbit hole with that. But, and I'll talk about that when I talk about responsibility and accountability. But for this one, I want to focus on the trauma positives, the things that I've been fortunate enough to experience that have kind of kept me grounded, that have kept me anchored into reality. And even though things haven't been the best, they haven't been the brightest, they haven't been the happiest, these are things that I, I, I focus on because they give me something to look forward to, I guess is a good way to put it. So essentially, you got to start with friends. When you grow up with bad childhoods, like especially because of like family, you make your own family. And for me, that came in the form of finding people that I could connect with and relate to and form friendships with, which has always been difficult for me, uh, which is kind of silly in the sense that when people meet me, I'm actually rather extroverted. And that's bizarre because I suffer from massive amounts of anxiety. But in social settings, I can thrive quite well despite the fact that I'm screaming at the top of my lungs on the inside. Um, I, I'm often, I, I don't want to sound conceited by this, but I've been, I, I wouldn't say often, but I've been described as the life of the party or the center of the circle. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that I do use humor to cover up pain. And so when I'm, when I'm feeling anxious or uncomfortable, I start being funny. And when you've had a lifetime of practice, you get really good at it. So humor is just a great way to connect with people. So as I am extroverted in the sense that I enjoy being in social settings because I find it fun, but it's also terrifying and traumatizing. Um, so the, the friendships is important because it people kind of fall into the two groups. You've got the people that are dealing with trauma or carrying trauma, and then you've got the people, I guess in a way everybody in the world has trauma nobody goes from birth to death without experiencing bad things. That's impossible or statistically unlikely. Um, I don't like to deal in absolute, so I'm not going to say that it's impossible, but highly unplausible. I don't know. But everybody has a, a level of trauma that they've had to deal with. They, everyone has bad days. Everyone has bad things happen to them. And I know that a lot of it is based around perception as to whether it's like a big deal or not a big deal. Um, but I, uh, for me, I kind of categorize the, the friends in my life in two. And that's the ones like me that have experienced massive amounts of trauma and have not healed from them. And then what I like to call my okay friends. And I, I, I wouldn't say that I prefer one over the other, but on a certain level of appreciation, because again, it's based around perception. So depending on how I'm perceiving the groups of friends, one will stand above the other in the sense that like my, my damaged friends, um, you know, my comrades of fame, I have a, a, a deep appreciation for them in the sense that I can relate to what they've experienced, even if it's not the exact same trauma, because pain is pain at the end of the day. But I, I, I guess I would say that it's a special form of empathy to have that connection between and that understanding between each other. Um, but my okay friends, though the ones that have either healed from their pain or never really gone through a, a trauma so severe that it you know stuck with them year after year after year, there's a certain strength in that friendship. And the strength comes from the okay friend in the sense that they are self-aware and empathetic enough to be able to step outside of themselves and deal with with your traumatized ass. And that sounds harsh, but let's face it, when you're dealing with somebody that struggles with trauma and pain, not the easiest people to get along with. The irritability, the anger, the frustration, the lashing out, the, the bouts of depression, the mood swings, not easy to deal with. Um, but then there's also the, the level of understanding and care and patience. So 
between me and my okay friends, I think that the strength of the relationship really kind of comes from them. And it takes a really special kind of person to be able to do that. They create a foundation of stability for you to be able to lean on when you can't do that for yourself. Now, for me, I try not to lean on other people as much as possible. A lot of that has to do with pride and ego, something that was drilled into me as a kid and probably where a significant, if not at least, portion of my trauma comes from. That, you know, you, you don't show pain, you don't show weakness. And I'm not talking about, like, the little league coach trying to, like, toughen up his players and shit. I'm talking about severe, abusive levels of pumping pride and ego into somebody. So I try not to lean on my friends too much. But I, I have, I've been fortunate enough to have some friends, two in particular, that were very good at helping me understand that it is okay to lean, even if it's just a little bit, that it's okay to take a break. And that started out as something really small until I ga- like I kind of gained the, the true appreciation that I should have had for it, and it became something big. And so now I try and remind myself, take a breath, lean, it's going to be okay. You can, you can lean on this foundation with because it, it's also not about pride and ego as much as it is also about fear of breaking that foundation because you know you're constantly worried that you'll break the other person that goes back to don't allow them to take on the weight of your trauma don't let them take on the weight of your pain they can be a foundation of stability and an anger and a reminder that everything's going to be okay and you can lean on them a little bit but obviously you don't dump everything on them so finding that balance has been something that I struggled with for a while. I've gotten better at, and I, I do have that level of appreciation of it's okay. It, it's okay to be in pain. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to call them and talk to them about it, to let them know, you know, I'm, I'm not weak. I'm just having a weak moment. Um, I'm not frail but I feel like I might break. Like I need just a little bit of glue or some tape or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and the biggest, I guess, form of this, and I'm, I am, I'm also very fortunate to have some really, really good people in my life. Um, I, I keep my friends list kind of short. And that's because, you know, like I said, when you grow up in a family where you don't feel like their family, you build your own. And you get very picky about the people that you put on that list and that you trust to be on that list. So my friends list is kind of short. And there's a, a there's an even shorter list for what I call the phone call. And that would be the people that I know that I could call if I, I get the overwhelming sense that I don't want to be here anymore. And... Uh, I've never had to make that phone call, and I hope that I never do make that phone call. But I'm appreciative that I know that I have people on that list that I could call at any time of any day, and they would drop anything that they're doing at that moment and just come and spend time with me. J- in not even in a big, grandiose way. Not to like take me out to dinner or go to a club, which I don't go to clubs. Um, but not not in uh not in a big way, just to come and spend time, just to be there, whether it's to sit in silence or play a board game or whatever it might be, just to to spend that time to say, hey, I'm here because I appreciate that you're here. And for me, that's something that I need. I, I, I've had that urge before, Luckily, it lasts for about 10 to 15 seconds. It's never been any longer or any more severe than that, which is why I've never had to make that phone call. And but but like I said, this is all about finding the positives in dealing and having your trauma. So I like to acknowledge the fact that I have those people in my life and that I can make that call if I do feel like I need to. The other part of it is I've got some people in my life that. 
it's just weird to me. Now, for me, I grew up in the country, and everything was all about eye-to-eye contact and shaking hands and giving your word. And, and, and I guess people would call it old school. I don't. I, w- I would like to think that it's not old school. It's just not as common as it should be. So I have internet friends. That's weird. Basically what happened is when my health took a turn, I got really depressed. And I self-isolated and I stopped doing anything. And then I remembered when I was younger, one of the things that I liked to do when I was having a hard time is I would go to the end of the, like, and this was after I left my grandparents' house because video games were not really a thing there. Uh, when I was 12, my biological, fi- I think I was 12. Because I think it was like right before my 13th birthday, my nine days before my 13th birthday, my biological father passed away. And then shortly after that, we moved back in with my biological mother. Um, there was a l- that was a massive transition in my life, and there was a lot of problems going on. So every now and then, I would escape that by going to the end of the neighborhood and playing video games with a, a kid that lived down there. And so in my adult life, when I found myself severely depressed and things weren't going my way and they were completely out of my control, you know, my health was failing, my career was over, just gone. I was like, oh, video games. That's a different kind of reality because reality is just your perception of what's happening around you. And I was like, I could escape at least for a little bit at a time and I could find a different place to be in. Maybe I could find a little bit of happiness there that I could bring back to this reality. And I did that because I started playing a video game called Destiny, which uh, Destiny 2 more specifically. I'd played the first one before for a little bit. And so I was like, I'm going to pl- I'm gonna get into this. So I started playing. In, in the midst of that, I reconnected with uh, a friend from high school who played with these people. And he was like, hey, you should play with us because the game's more fun when you play with other people. And I did that. Because I was like, oh, I'm here to find that like happiness in a different reality to bring back to this one. And if the game's more fun with other people, then I'm going to play with those other people. And that worked out really well because I made friends with these people from all over the country that I've never met, may never meet. We have completely different political and societal and religious views. I mean, some of them, I'm sure they align. We don't really focus on it too much, but I it, we've been interacting with each other long enough that we actually know like real names and things about personal lives and stuff like that. And so like we're all from different areas of the country. Some of them are not even in this country. One of them's on the other side of the fucking planet. And we've all got these different epistemologies and perceptions and viewpoints. And yet through this one thing, we were able to unite and come together. And we've even had discussions about those things. And it's okay, which I love. That's the whole reason why I started this show in the first place is because I wanted to have conversations with people. I wanted to have conversations and more specifically with people that I knew disagreed with me on things or at least looked at things in a different way. Because I, I, I think that the only way for the world to become a better place is for those kinds excuse me, for those kinds of conversations to happen. So here I was having the kinds of conversations that I wanted, ha- finding some, you know, joy and happiness in a in an alternate reality, I guess, in a sense. Um, but all of it being connected back to this reality through these real people that I was interacting with. And I formed these friendships that I wouldn't have without the game. And so I thought that was pretty cool. And one of them in particular likes my beard, which I really need to trim up, especially the mustache. That is getting long. Ooh. Um, and, and so I, I became very appreciative of that. And surprisingly, the one that we have the the biggest distance between our viewpoints on reality because I'm an atheist and they're quite religious. I just opened up to one night. I was like, hey, this is what's going on in my life. And I told them not not about the childhood and the family and all this everything. It was like, hey man, I'm I might die. And not in the sense of like we're all gonna die. It's like my heart is failing at a significant level and I don't know what I'm going to do about it. And we had very deep conversations. And then I started opening up more and more to everybody 
in the group and of course I was making jokes about it. That's just what I do. Um, but I, I found support from that. And so then when I really got to putting the show together and putting it out there, they supported me in that. And that was something that was completely unexpected, but it's something that I've appreciated every step of the way. And recently when the show fell apart, it's because I fell apart and I started self-isolating and I stopped going online and I stopped talking to people in real life. Um, I'm trying to fix that. I'm trying to catch myself in the beginning of that because, and, and that's why the appreciation is important. It's a reminder that you're connected to this reality, that I'm connected to this reality. So I constantly remind myself, hey, these people are important to you for a reason. You should show up for a reason. And again, not for anything big. Like for the, the last group of friends that I'm talking about, it's a video game. That's really not that significant but it's the bond and the friendship and the laughter and everything that's been shared that is important that needs to be appreciated that needs to be you know held on to and so it's a reminder that i I need to be present so and and i do that with the the real friendships that i have i i've never been the person that calls my friends on a daily basis or texts them on a daily basis i've always been Kind of reminds me of that uh, song, I live my life like a gypsy. Um, I moved around a lot as a kid and everything like that, so I didn't really have long li- like long-lasting friendships. And then when I did find them, it was bizarre to me to talk to somebody every day, day after day, and it was almost exhausting in the sense that I guess I didn't have the social battery for that. And like I said, I do well in social settings, but that's because they're pro- usually a very short duration. So I don't really call, I don't really text, um, but I do try to get together with them as often as possible or occasionally I will, you know, text and everything like that. And over the last six to eight months, I have failed significantly at keeping in touch with my friends. Um, And I'm trying to change that. I'm trying to use this appreciation, like I said, as a reminder to be present, to not self-isolate. And to me, that's a positive. It's 100% connected to all of the trauma that, you know, I've been dealing with lately, but it is a positive for me to have something to look forward to, to show up and be connected to the people that I enjoy that are in this reality. And it makes this reality a little bit brighter, makes it a little bit easier to deal with. It lightens the load a little bit without actually putting the load on anybody else. I'm still carrying it. I still have all the weight. I still have all the pain. I'm not putting that on anybody else, even if I lean on them a little bit. It's, I have something of value and I need to make sure that it is protected. And that's a a great way for me to stay connected and stop self-isolating as much. Now, will that work? I don't know. Insomnia has a lot to do with it. The fact that my brain seems to function better when everybody else is asleep. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I'm sure there's some way for that to be interpreted in the sense that maybe I'm just avoiding people by being awake while they're asleep. And then eventually I get so exhausted that I just crash out. And that usually happens while they're awake. So I'm sleeping when they're awake and I'm awake when they're sleeping. I don't know. Maybe that's my brain trying to force itself to isolate, even though I'm actively trying to work against that. So friends, friends, friends are important. They're, they're something positive to be valued and you have to, it's a unique experience for everybody. You have to find why those particular friends are important. Like for me, I've talked about Brooke and Katie on the podcast before, and I know that there's that joke, oh, guys and girls can't be friends without like, grow up. They're important and I have failed in so many ways over the last couple of years of actually being present in this friendship and I feel horrible about that. But they're important because they are the ones that really helped me deal with things without hovering or without pressuring and finding that right combination of reminding me when I'm being an an idiot without actually telling me that I'm being an idiot. And that was kind of awesome. I mean, they just found 
that 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 small degree that worked and the friendship has been something really important to me uh, because I do know that no matter what happens in any situation regardless of my involvement in said situation I could call them and there would be no judgment uh, maybe after the fact there would be judgment they'd be like hey you remember um, but I could call them and be like hey this is what's happening and this is what I need and then they would just be honest with me they wouldn't lie to me they wouldn't try and coddle me they wouldn't you know try and save my feelings or soften things they'd be like hey this is what you need to do and if either one of them didn't necessarily have the answer then they would confer with each other and they'd figure out the answer and then they would come at me as a double team and that's terrifying because they're strong independent scary women in a good way <laughs> in a good way um where was i because I, like I said, I don't want to give out to I. When when I talk about these things, I'm only going to talk about the people that I know that are going to be okay, and in the sense of okay with me talking about my connection with them, and I'm not putting out names or personal information or going too in depth on details, uh, because that's just messy. I I'm trying to look at it from my perspective and my perception, and also. They didn't consent to have all of their shit aired out on there or, or on here. I, I did. I'm doing it right now. I still feel weird about it. I'm struggling with this conversation a lot, even though I, I feel how long have I been talking too long, probably. And so once you get past the friends, because I've got, you know, my close friends here in my personal life that, you know, I get to actually go and visit and stuff like that. I've got my online friends who some of them I would, three or four of them in particular, I would say are pr close friends at this point, or at least getting there. Chelsea. She's on every episode. She does the intro, she does the outro. It's pre-recorded. I don't actually make her sit there and then say, you know, let's do this, or this is the outro. Her and I met when I was in, we were both in horrible relationships and we became friends and that's all we wanted from each other. And then both of those horrible relationships ended and over the course of time, you know, it kind of went beyond friendship and we started a relationship and it was built in this crazy time of being on the road and in a confined space because we started working together, like actually in one truck. And I've always appreciated Chelsea from the, the beginning of our friendship to the beginning of our relationship. Um, and, and my trust in her has never faulted. Then I got sick. And, and, and it, it's not that I got sick. It's just that I got sicker. And, and that didn't affect my trust in her or anything. But it did change the way that I viewed her in the sense that when we got together, like when we met and... Like when we started our relationship and we started, you know, building a life together, I wouldn't say like I was the man or anything, but I was very successful in my career. Um, I was making really good money. I was respected. I basically had the, the golden key or sense or the golden driver's license with uh, the CDL to get a job anywhere that I wanted and not necessarily demand any pay that I wanted, but to get paid well. And so I told her, I was like, hey, if we're going to work together, then, you know, we're going to do this like as an actual team. It's not going to be one of those things where like I have my thing, you have your thing. Like we're going to build this together. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to I'm going to make moves and I, I, I can't give you anything, but I can present you with opportunities. And that's what I did for her career. I opened up doors and just said, hey, here's the door, but you can't walk through it unless you earn it. And every single step of the way, she was a rock star. She just kept impressing me day after day after day with how much she learned, how much she could do. And a lot of that came from the fact that, you know, I had this well of knowledge and experience to be able to provide her. Um, and then, like I said, I got sicker. And I was forced out of my job because, you know, it. and I'm not angry about it, okay? I I respect the career that I was in. And, and Try not to get too emotional here. I respect the career that I was in enough to acknowledge that my health was a safety issue. 
right? I, I not only drove, but I was also an educator. I was an instructor. I was a, you know, a, a third party examiner for the state. I do take the, the, the rules and the safety involved in that career very seriously. So I acknowledge that my health was a safety issue and I should not be behind the wheel of an 80,000 pound vehicle when I could have a heart attack and die at any moment. So I wasn't forced out of my career. My health made it a necessity that I had to step down from my career. And the reason why I'm taking the time to make that distinction is because it's important for me to remind myself that it's not something that I should be angry about. It's something that I should I should look at from the perspective of I was doing the right thing to keep people safe. And I need that. I need that because it reminds me that, you know, there's not anyone to be angry at. There's not anyone to blame that it, it was... It, w- it was doing the right thing. So anyway, I didn't give her anything. I just provided opportunities, and she earned everything um, that you know we, we built together. And then, like I said, I got sicker, and I had to step down from my job, and then suddenly I went from this well of knowledge and experience, and of course she could still call me when she was having you know issues, and I could give her advice, and I could walk her through things, but I wasn't there anymore. I wasn't present anymore. She was doing it on her own. And I wasn't upset about that. If anything, I was proud. I was amazed that, you know, she stepped up once again and blew out all expectations and was just absolutely killing it. But mentally for me, it was this huge hit of what am I worth? What am I providing? What 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 is my role in all of this? And I didn't know how to handle that. I didn't know what to do. And so a lot of the issues and a lot of the the pain that I was feeling and I'm still feeling is the fact that my self-worth kind of went out the window. Um, Now, as far as she's concerned, (laughs) through the roof, because not once has she ever looked at me like I was any less. She's never treated me like I was any less. You know, she's reminded me, hey, you know, you need to slow down. You need to take it easy. You're pushing yourself too hard. But she's never done it in a super pushy way. She's never been, you know, aggressive with it. She's just gentle reminders. And then occasionally I won't listen and I will do something and I will push too hard. And then I'll be like <laughs> later or like, oh, like, uh, and then she'll be like, well, I told you. I did. But again, not in like a a mean or abusive or aggressive way or anything like that. And so my appreciation of her has just, like I said, skyrocketed because she's just been absolutely amazing through this entire process. And when I get locked up here, sometimes that gets forgotten. And I have to, like I said, go through my list of my trauma positives and the things that I should be appreciative of and the reminders that I have to the reality that I'm in as to why it doesn't suck as much as I might think that it does in that immediate situation or in that moment. And so she's, it's kind of funny because I, I have a kid that, you know, is from my first real significant relationship, my high school sweetheart. And I kind of separate them in the sense that they're both my number one, but that's just because, you know, my daughter's my number one because she's my absolute everything in this world. I would die for this this person. I would die for Chelsea too, but it's like it, it's just a different relationship. And so, like, instead of having a number one and a number two or however that would work out, they're just both my number ones. Um, and so the, the, the other side of that for the biggest, I guess, appreciation that I have is for my kid. You know, my kid's been an absolute legend through this, which sucks. It sucks because she has to be, or that not not that she has to be, you know, a, as good at handling it as she has been. It's just the fact that she has to experience it because for somebody with trauma, the one thing that we don't want to do is put trauma on anybody else, uh, ours or create new traumas for that person. And I know that I've done that for her. And it can't be helped. But what I can do is try and help her navigate and control the way that she has to experience this trauma. So she knows that I'm really sick and she knows that I might not have a whole lot of time or that I might have a lot of time. And the difference between those two is like an emotional roller coaster of 
is it going to happen? No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. We could live for a year. He could live for six months. He could live for 20. Who knows? Like, it's completely up in the air the way that these things happen because you go through treatment and you don't know how you're going to respond. And you could be doing really well. And then suddenly out of nowhere, I mean, you've got the people that are perfectly fit and healthy that, you know, go for jogs and runs and, you know, they, they go to the gym and they eat perfect diets and then they die of a heart attack out of nowhere. Now, clearly, I'm not that person, but what I'm saying is when it comes to your health, nothing is really guaranteed. And so, like I said, we all know that we're going to die eventually. I'm just in that position of, try <laughs> like, <laughs> it's kind of important for me to figure out when. And, and I know that's really intense for somebody to have to deal with for someone that's close to them, but also when you're looking at a parent, but not not just as a parent, because we all know that our parents are going to die, but we hope that it's going to happen when they're, you know, late in age. I'm not, you know, I'm in my early 30s and she's just about to be a teenager. So when you put those two things together, it's just not what anybody would expect. It's not what you want to happen. Now, obviously, you never want your parent to die, but we at least have a, a an understanding of the reality that we live in and that we know what's going to happen. But like I said, you hope, you hope that it happens late in life. And as parents, we hope that it happens late in life because then our kids are you know, older and more mature and they have a better understanding and perception of the world and the reality that we live in and that hopefully they'll have, you know, more coping abilities um, to be able to deal with us not being there anymore. So I know that I've put trauma on her and that sucks, but she's dealt with it, uh, I guess, as best as anybody could be. And it, it hasn't been easy. We've had a couple of pretty intense conversations. Um, but I have an appreciation for the fact that she has handled it as well as she had. And that's one of the things that I I think I can I can safely say that it is my biggest reminder to stay connected to this reality and to to not go away is that, you know, I want to be there for her day after day after day to not only help her deal with this trauma, but any more that may show up. But to also be there for all of the good days, because if we're being honest with ourselves, even when we live crappy lives, the good days tend to outweigh the bad. The bad just tend to stick with us more. And that's because, let's be honest, we kind of tend to have average days. I guess, I don't know. I've never actually sat down and counted them up and done the math on that seems a little depressing i don't like walking down memory lane so much um this has been going on for a while so i'm going to wrap it up with the with the last one and that's the personal strength um i'm not trying to toot my own horn it's i know that i'm tempted to to not be here um like i said it doesn't happen often it's not like a daily thing and it's not this long duration it's like i said usually 10 to 15 seconds of me sitting there thinking that you know hey that's an option but then i don't do it and it never gets so bad that i feel like i need to make a call or to reach out to anybody um i don't feel like i'm a danger to myself um but there there's the sense of i know what i've been through i know the what i'm dealing with and i'm still here I'm still here talking about it. I'm still here dealing with it. I'm still here trying to make the best of it. And I need to be appreciative of the fact that I'm still here. So I, d- I do have that on my list of positive traumas or trauma positives. I'm saying it backwards. Like I said, I'm tired. It, this, this, this last one's been insomnia like crazy because I stay up for a day, day and a half, two days, two and a half days. Like I said, I stay up until my brain just gets so exhausted and feels like sandpaper that I just crash and then I sleep for three or four hours and then I'm back up and then I stay up again. And so I tried to go to sleep and it didn't wasn't working. So then I was like, you know what? I'm going to have this conversation. It's about time that, you know, I start making content again for the show because I want to get the show back together. I want to put it out there and I want to start having fun with it again. But before I could do that, I felt like I needed to kind of deal with some of this that's been rattling around in my head because the clarity is not there anymore. The drive isn't there anymore. The the interest isn't there. And I need to find that again because that's one of the things that, you know, I found joy in. And I still find joy in. It's just it feels like a chore and that takes all the fun out of it. And I don't want that because I know that it's not a chore. It's something that I genuinely enjoy doing. It's one of the few things that I have a 
a true happiness about is to reaching out to people and having conversations, even about mundane things. I just enjoy having conversations because I enjoy talking. Um, but I also enjoy finding the humanity and the connection and the empathy and the reality uh, of other people. Because the only way to truly understand reality is to experience as many perceptions as possible. And we only get so many for ourselves. So you have to reach out to other people and borrow from theirs. So I'm working on that. And like I said, this has been a weird episode of me basically just having a conversation with myself. I'm not used to it. Um, there's usually at least one other person on the episodes with me, but I don't know. Well, like I said, we'll, we'll get back to that. Um, but for now, I'm just trying to force myself to sit down and record anything. And this is just what's been on my mind. And that's what's, that's what these episodes are going to be from now on. It's just what, what's on my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop trying to plan episodes out. Um, if, when people reach out and say, Hey, I'd like to do an episode. I always give them the option. What is the subject matter going to be? Like you get to pick that. We're going to talk about what you want to talk about because that's the fun of you coming on. So those are planned in the sense of, hey, what are we going to talk about? And then if it's something I'm unfamiliar with, I'll try and do a little bit of research, but not so much because I still want to be able to ask good questions for them to be able to teach me something, which is another thing that I love about these conversations is I get to learn and grow as a person. Because I've said plenty of times before, I'm not an expert. One of the things that I'm also working on is taking the time to learn how to do more editing and creating. And so I'm going to take the podcast episodes that we have, which I did not know that you couldn't just put audio on YouTube. You actually have to make a video out of it somehow. And I, I learned how to do that tonight when I wasn't sleeping. So I'm going to take our podcast audios and I'm going to convert them over and upload them to the YouTube channel so that more people can experience them if they're not just specifically looking for podcasts. Maybe you'll stumble across it and have a little bit of fun with it and come back for more. Um, so yeah, you know, uh, this is just me. I'm Matt. Uh, we're doing the show Downright Dialectical. Like I said, I'm hoping to, to get everyone else back involved again after I get a couple more Band-Aids put together up here. And, uh, yeah, if you want to reach out to us, then, you know, the email's mattchat at mattchat, M-A-T-T-C-H-A-T, at downrightdialectical.com, which obviously is our website. Just put the W's in front of it. Um, Facebook, same name. Twitter, Instagram, same name. Though the Twitter and the Instagram really don't have that much on them. I'm really bad at posting to social media. Uh, but, yeah, just reach out to us, and, you know, we'll see where it goes from here. We're just going to... I say we. I'm going to take it one step at a time, and then we'll see how it goes. Peace. This is the outro.